Well, good morning, city. How are we feeling today? Feeling good? All right, awesome. Well, as some of you know, um, Bodhi and I got married uh, very young. I was 19 years old and hadn't even been out of high school. Um, I had been out of high school less than a year uh, when we took that leap and got married. So as you can imagine, I walked in a seasoned pro. I knew exactly what I was doing. Um, quite the opposite, in fact. Um, all the, we, I didn't know what any of it meant to be a wife, and I also did not know uh, what it meant to be an adult, really. I moved from my parents' house into a house with a boy. And um, I didn't have a checking account before that point. I had, didn't pay bills. I did not do really any of the cooking or the cleaning or, of the, or the laundry. And then I stepped into being in charge of all of it and then also trying to figure out what it meant um, to be married. Um, and so we made a lot of mistakes, all right? It's really laughable um, how bad we got it and the mistakes that we made. Um, the stories that I could tell you, I will not tell you because they're so embarrassing, so don't ask me later, all right? But do you know who knows all of those stories? My mom. And she knows them because I called her a lot. Mom, how in the world do you cook that thing that you used to always make? I'm trying to make it now. Mom, what do I do if I think that there's a mouse in the cabinet? I think we have a mouse in our kitchen cabinet. Mom, I just opened my washing machine and there's definitely a snake in there. What do I do? These are real stories. This really happened. Um, our first little poor broke down house that we lived in at the first, we had a critter issue. Um, and so I... What do I do if I have a, a snake in there? Um, Mom, how do I pay the bills? Um, where do I buy stamps? Um, what's a post office? And exactly what do I do at this magical um, place? I had questions, I needed help, and my only option was to ask. Today we continue our series, Teach Us to Pray, and we move into the second half of this beautiful and historic prayer from Jesus. And so before we really jump in, let's pause for a moment, settle our hearts and our minds to receive. If you would, just take a deep breath in and let it out, signaling our body to slow down, our nervous system to slow down, to be ready to receive. And let's read this prayer um, together this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. The first few movements of this prayer are vertical. They are meant and designed to draw our attention, our affection, our worship to God, our adoration back to the place that it belongs. We start with recognizing the God of the universe as our Father. What a scandalous notion right out of the gate. We recognize him as set apart and he is holy. We stand in awe of all that he has done and all that he has created and we launch into the three your movements of this prayer. Our perspective begins to shift as we lift our eyes up off of our circumstances, up off of the ground that we are living in. This is what worship does. It draws our attention and our affection to God and it shifts our perspective and we launch into these movements. Hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today, like a hinge on a door, we turn to the next phase of this prayer and move into the us prayers. Today, we get into the grit of life and we invite our Father into that space. Give us this day our daily bread. This is probably the part of the prayer that we are most familiar with, or at least the kind of form of prayer that even we are introduced to first as a child. You see, at its simplest and most straightforward form, prayer equals asking. When tragedy strikes, even those who don't typically pray will offer up a prayer as consolation. When our car begins to kind of slip on the ice on the road, we pray that Jesus would take the wheel. When our 16-year-old sets out on the road for the very first time, as Bodhi and I experienced this past year, we again pray, Jesus, take the actual wheel, and we pray protection over their lives. When we're going in for testing at a doctor's office, we pray. This is not something that we in this room in Tulsa, Oklahoma, are unfamiliar with, am I right? But if you are anything like me, this form of prayer isn't as natural as it should be and it also comes with a lot of baggage. Historically, the type of prayer that we're talking about today is called petition prayer. We are petitioning the Lord to move on our behalf. We are petitioning him to step in, to intervene, to change or alter a situation or bring us something that we need, bring us something that we desire. We get this, but if we're really honest, give us this day our daily bread is a little too simplistic, it's too common. And to be fair, this, when you really think about it, is a sharp turn. We are, again, we're looking at God and we're contending and interceding on behalf of those around us. We are worshiping God Almighty and we are praying for his will to be done and we utter these famous lines, on earth as it is in heaven, and we might change earth to whatever it is that we're praying about, in Tulsa as it is in heaven, in my family as it is in heaven. We are grabbing onto that rope that Pastor Matt talked about last week and we are pulling more of heaven down to earth, and then we switch over and we ask for our lunch. Common prayer in common language. We want to puff it up a little bit more and make it more important than this makes it sound. Some of those examples that I just gave, that's our go-to. Those are easy, and we wait until, we tend to wait until it gets big enough, more, bigger than we can handle before we invite God into it. It needs to be a little bit bigger before I invite the God of the heavens and the earth into it because obviously there are more important things than the mundane portions of Rachel's Tuesday. Praying before, for my kid before they step out onto the road for the first time, yeah, that makes the cut. Praying for the meeting that I'm going to, that I go into every single week or that parking spot that I'm trying to find. No, that's silly. And honestly, it doesn't even come to my mind. Praying what I want or what is important to me feels childlike, feels like something that you grow out of. It feels selfish. There's a natural switch that kind of turns off and on depending on the gravity of the situation whether it's worthy enough to involve the creator of the heavens and earth into, but we cannot get around it. The invitation of Jesus into petition prayer was down to earth. It was ordinary, it was common. 
It wasn't give us this day our fancy steak feast, it was daily bread. And not only, it wasn't only about receiving daily bread, he bids us to ask for it. Why? Why is it important for us to ask? Because here's a fact that we cannot get away from in scripture, God wants us to ask. Time and time again, he bids us to do so. Paul Miller in A Praying Life, which is one of our recommended readings for this series, if you haven't picked up that book, I highly recommend it. It's beautiful and deep, but also really down to earth way to live a praying life. He says this, all of Jesus' teaching on prayer in the gospels can be summarized with one word, ask. So let's chat about a few reasons why he teaches us, Jesus teaches us in this prayer and in many other lessons why asking is such a vital part of our formation and really an essential movement of prayer. First, asking challenges our need for control. Control is one of those beautiful illusions that we carry so closely with us most all of the time. It takes us all the way back to that original lie that we can really be our own God. Now, it's not ever, almost ever that um, overt, but it is deceptive. It's close enough to the truth, as was the original lie. Control is one of those lessons that I personally have a pretty comical back and forth with the Lord at this time in my life. I'm like, this again, Lord? I really thought that I learned that one of the first few hundred times that you revealed it to me, but here we are again. Time and time again, struggles in my life come back to my desire to control. Strife with my kids and with my husband, anxiety over circumstances, lack of joy in my daily life, all rounding their way back to my unhealthy and really ungodly desire to control. And here's the thing that I have learned for myself. My tendency to not ask is rooted in my need for independence. It's rooted in my desire to think I can handle this on my own. I can figure this out on my own. I have this and really I want the perception of not being looked at as weak if I have to ask. When Jesus instructs us how to pray and his disciples how to pray, he tells them that they should ask for daily bread. And there's a powerful echo of Jewish history here found in this phrase. So let's rewind a bit. Let's flip back some pages and go to Exodus chapter 16. I'm gonna read verses 11 through 18 over us this morning. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. The people of Israel grumbled a lot, as do we, okay? Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew laid around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it, 
with an omer. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. So when the Israelites were wandering for 40 years in the wilderness, they had, they received manna to eat every morning and quail in the evening. Each person was to gather as much as they needed, but they weren't supposed to keep it or hoard it or keep onto it until morning. If they did, it became full of maggots and began to stink. The only exception to this rule was the day before Sabbath, and they were to gather twice as much as they needed so that they could rest on the Sabbath day. The Lord was getting slavery out of them in the practice of Sabbath, and so he was like keeping the Sabbath. This is not a Sabbath sermon, so I'm gonna stop there. But why did the manna, why did all of it have such a short shelf life? It wasn't because God couldn't make it last forever. Obviously, he could make it last forever if he wanted to. The point was gathering manna, gathering the food every single day forced the Israelites to continue to remember God's provision and his faithfulness and goodness. It was a visible reminder that God was caring for them, that he was meeting their needs, that he was providing for them even in the middle of the desolate wilderness. All they had to do was to go out and gather it. God would give them the amount that they needed. God was in control. This is what asking for daily bread does in our hearts. It's common prayer that brings us down to earth. It connects us with our daily needs and it changes our hearts day by day as we realize who is ultimately in control over our lives. You see, daily bread prayers war against our tendency to find security in the provision over the provider. Just like the Israelites, we tend to forget and we tend to hoard. We begin to find security in the provision over the provider. It's not that the provision is bad. It's not that these things are bad. Most of them are good gifts given to us by God. It's when we begin to shift over and find all of our trust and our hope in the provision instead of the provider. When our security is found by having enough and stockpiling enough because if needed, this is what's gonna save me tomorrow. Two weeks ago, this today, um, was our first kind of snow of the season. It was beautiful. I love a good snow. I'm a winter fan. Disagree with me if you want. Okay, whatever. But um, we, we are getting our first snow of the season, and Bodie and I made the grave mistake of actually needing groceries um, a few days before the snow was to come in. So the forecast is we're getting maybe two or three inches on a Sunday afternoon, and Thursday night at Aldi, it was a zoo, okay? It was a madhouse. It was as busy as I've ever seen it before in my whole life, and there was no bread on the shelves. I'm not exaggerating. This is not hyperbole. There was zero bread on the shelves, as if we're gonna get two to three inches on Sunday. Everyone's acting like we'll never get out of our houses again, okay? But this is what we do. Every time there's something coming in, this is our human instinct is scarcity, there's not enough to go around, so I've got to go get mine before everybody else clears the shelves. I've got to go get mine, stockpile it up for all of the bad weather days to come. 
And so with that in mind, we know that this is our instinct. With that in mind, we lean into daily bread prayers to form something else inside of us. This is spiritual discipline 101, okay? We lean into, we practice the things that we can control in order to affect the things that we can't control. I already confessed my desire for control in my life, controlling situations in my life. I can't just turn that off like a switch. If I could, I would have done it a lot of years ago. It would have saved me a lot of heartache and a lot of grief, but I can't just turn off my need and my desire to control, but I can Sabbath. I can stop for a whole day. I can stop from morning until evening and know that the plates will keep spinning if I stop, and if they don't, they don't. Ultimately, I'm not in control of keeping this thing spinning, and it forms something else inside of me. I can't control my reaction when I don't get things that I want, but I can fast. I can remove those things that I want from my life and let him form something else inside of me. I can't control my anxiety about tomorrow and what might be coming, but I can pray. And more specifically, I can lean into this daily bread prayers to form and renew and build my trust in my provider over the provision. This is how the practices work. They are slow and lifelong. It's not quick and fast. We're not microwaving results. We're cultivating fruit. Over time, it forms something else inside of us. And I know this to be true because I've seen it true in my life. The more we seek after daily bread, the more our sinful self-reliance is eroded from the inside out. The more we discover God's ability to provide for us, even in times of scarcity, even in the middle of our own wilderness, we see his provision to provide. The more that we see that everything good and gracious in our lives comes from the hand of God himself. Daily, as we ask, He weans us off our addiction to independence and this illusion that we're ultimately in control of life-altering moments of our lives and even the supply of our next snack. Prayer exchanges control for trust. I'm giving up my control and I'm leaning into my trust in you. That's what it does. That's what it forms inside of us. But trust requires a few things, which leads us to number two. Asking requires relationship and vulnerability. Sitting around the dinner table has always been a value of ours in the Sanders house. We have tried to stay as closely to it as possible. We don't do it near as much as we used to. Now we've got a couple of teenagers in our house, houses that have sports in the evenings and night, all of that, you know um, how that kind of gets away for you and you. But we try to stick to doing at least once a week. No phones, everybody ready to make eye contact and talk about our day and maybe um, our week. And so we sat down together, we start by praying. Now don't get something super fancy in your mind, we're praying over the food, okay? Um, So we pray over the food, and Micah has watched us do this for years, and just in the last like year or so, he's wanted to get in on the action and be the one who prays over the meal, and his prayers go a little something like this. Jesus, today we went to recess, and it was fun. I played with my friends and it was fun. And um, uh, Ella, I know she had fun. And Lainey, she had fun. And when dad picked me up from school, um, 
we had fun. And mom, I think, had, had fun as well. And the other day at church, and I was playing with Noah and Eli, and it was, it was fun. And eventually, the fun and fun goes on and on and on. And we have to, all the rest of us are looking at, uh, making eye contact, and we're like, amen, okay. <laughs> so we can, our food doesn't get so super cold. But my point is this. His natural instinct for prayer is just to let Jesus in on his life to share with him what's on his mind. No pretense, no fluff or pride. He hasn't been beat down or matured into what prayer really is. I don't think he's ever even prayed over the food. (laughs) It's just his opportunity to innocently talk to Jesus like he's around the table and he's interested in his day and what's important to him. No wonder we're called to be like little children. Back to my embarrassing example as young married Rachel. I first went to my mom because of our relationship. If I would have been forced to go to a stranger or even an acquaintance, I would not have done it. It would have been way too um, embarrassing. Our relationship paved the way for that kind of asking because asking insists on vulnerability. The sheer fact that I'm asking means that I need help that I'm unable to do this on my own. I need someone to step in and help me. It's a signal of weakness, which I know how much all of us love to be perceived as weak. We all love that. We don't want to be dependent on anyone, and this absolutely affects our posture in prayer. We don't really want to be dependent on God. We can talk about it, we can sing about it, but if you've ever been in a place where you're really dependent on him, where you're really desperate for him to come in, It's uncomfortable, and you can tell how much you really, really don't like it. Sure, I can trust him ultimately with the big things, but when when I'm talking about trusting him immediately with my right now, that hits differently. When I ask, suddenly I'm vulnerable in a particular and a trackable kind of way. Because if I never ask God, if I never let him in on these daily bread type prayers, then he can never disappoint me or let me down. We tend to kind of frame our prayers in such a way as, like, as if we're playing PR for God. I'm gonna frame him in such a way where he, if he doesn't come through, then I've kind of put this little tag at the end. So if he doesn't come through, then it must not have been, you know. I do that. He does not need us to be his PR representatives, okay? But if I don't let him in and I'm afraid that he's gonna disappoint me, here's the other thing that can happen. He can never surprise me and he can never delight me. Asking is the gateway into the relationship that we are meant to have with God, the ins and outs and ups and downs of daily life, where real life is, where the goodness of relationship is found, talking to Jesus like Micah and inviting him in all all of the fun that he is having, because that's the most important thing in his life right now is fun, and he's inviting him in on that like he cares about it as much as he does. Again, common prayer in common language. Have you ever noticed that people tend to talk differently when they pray? Have you noticed that you talk differently whenever you pray? We tend to be edited. We try to find the right words, the proper formula, instead of it just being us. Daily bread prayers help break this down. When I invite God into the commonness of my life, I'm inviting him into my full life where the majority of my time and the majority of my life is found. 
when we just bring big prayers to a big God, the tendency is that God then feels separate and distant, unapproachable. Common prayers and common language brings with it the intimacy that life-on-life relationships are meant to have and opens us up in a way that only true intimacy can. Because here's what happens with daily bread prayers that opens our hearts to really our deeper needs, our deeper longings. What we are asking for, what we are needing, often points us deeper So I'm asking for more money, but what I'm really longing for is safety and security. I'm asking for this person to ask me out on a date, but what I'm really longing for is connection and relationship. And those prayers will point us down deep into our deep longings, our desires, and ultimately will point us to the one who can meet them. It will point us to our hunger and our thirst, which is ultimately satisfied within him. It will point us to the well that never runs dry. Our hunger and our thirst point back to him, but we have to be vulnerable and honest and open ourselves up to let him into that space. In Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, right after finishing the prayer, he goes directly into another teaching on asking. Let's pop into Luke chapter 11, verse 5. He just finished the Lord's Prayer and he said, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. The disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. They are following Jesus every single day. They are apprenticing under him, learning his moves, learning his ways, learning to live the way of Jesus. And they know because they see in his life, we're gonna need to know how to pray. He prays all the time. So they ask him how to pray. Jesus starts and goes into this historic prayer and then he follows it up immediately with this example. It's not a miraculous story of a word bringing forth healing or the dead being raised or a prayer sparking revival in the land. It's a person going to a neighbor's house to borrow some bread because a friend has just dropped by for a visit unannounced and I don't have any groceries. Brother didn't give me any warning that he was coming. He just dropped in and I don't have any food, so can I borrow some bread? This is his example of petition prayer. It's desperately vulnerable and rooted in relationship. This person knows he has a need. He also knows that he cannot fill this need on his own. He understands his weakness and he is willing and desperate to go to the one who can meet the need that he has. It actually says because of your shameless audacity, because you are so bold that you're gonna come over to my house and knock on the door. He ignored that sign that people put on their door like if you ring the doorbell and wake this sleeping baby, I will murder you, okay? He ignored that sign and went knocking on the door in the middle of the night because he had something that he needed. 
Similar to the story of the persistent widow, if you remember this story in, in, in prayer as well. These two examples show us that it is not our strength that gain us access, it is our weakness. They were willing to be desperate and that desperation, if we let it, will bid us to our knees in prayer. This example is also deeply relational. It doesn't look like going before this grand being that we never talk to with a white beard that goes all the way to the floor and we're asking for something. No, it looks like walking next door to a neighbor and asking for a cup of sugar. Asking is prayer in its most deeply relational place. And last, asking invites us to participate. This can really go for prayer in all of its forms, but in particular, asking gets us off of the bench and into the game as players. We are interceding like we did last week, contending for the Lord to move on our behalf, to change a situation or a circumstance. We are calling on the Lord in petition and asking for him for our daily bread in our lives. When we do this, we become participants. Prayer is participation. We see Jesus in in the gospels. We see Jesus at the healing pool in Bethesda asking the man, do you want to get well? We see him with the blind man who has already been crying out to him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? We see Jesus time and time again in a situation of healing or a situation of salvation. He asks the person what would seem to be an obvious question. Do you want this? Do you believe that I can do this? And basically every time it's like, well, of course they do. Of course they want this. This this man is already yelling out on the street for you to heal him. This person is sitting by a pool that is a healing pool. And when the waters get stirred up, I'm trying to jump in to get my healing. Of course they want this. But his question still remains there. He asks these questions. He wants us to have agency in it. We see him engaging with people in such a way as to say, I want to hear you say it. He's inviting us to participate. Again, prayer is participation. We are actually co-laboring with Christ through prayer to bring heaven to earth. What a thing. I mean, really, do we really believe that to be true? That our prayer is not only something that, that makes us feel good, which it does, that our prayer is not only something that forms something inside of us, which it does, But do we believe that our prayer engages the world in such a way that if we didn't pray, things wouldn't happen? Do we believe that to be true? If we're all honest, I think that last one is a little bit bigger of a stretch for us and most of us have resigned to the fact that our prayers really don't make that much of a difference in what happens or doesn't happen in an actual situation. Dallas Willard in The Divine Conspiracy says this, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend he is answering our prayer when he is only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. Now, as we know, there is mystery here. Prayer is not a formula, and that is so what we want it to be. It's not neat and tidy, 
It's not one plus one equals two. It's not if I do this and if I do that, then this always happens. There's so much mystery here. And there are a ton of unanswered questions. And to be perfectly honest, what would seem to be unanswered prayers. We ask, we believe, we contend, and what we are praying against still happens. I can't give you a formula for that. But God is not a formula. He is a God to know. He is a person to know, not to master. The invitation into the way of prayer, the invitation into the life of Jesus is an invitation into mystery. That's what I can promise. The rest is a journey. But another thing I know is that he wants us in on the action. He wants us to be involved. The scriptures are not full of stories and people for us to look at and admire how close to God they were. Look at all the things that God did into their lives. Look at how their prayer life was. The scriptures are a historical record of God's deep involvement with his people as a foundation for us, as a picture for us, as what our lives with God should look like, what our prayer life can look like. We have been empowered to participate. And one of the ways that we do that, really I believe the starting line, the starting gate for our participation with God into the world is through prayer. So what could happen if you prayed for daily bread in your life, unpretentious, childlike, common prayer and common language. We've talked about the many benefits and formations of petition prayer, but I'd like to end with a sweet gift that this form of prayer brings into our lives, and that's gratitude. Tyler Staten in Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, Another Rachel recommended reading, if you will. Pick that one up too, it's great. He says this, gratitude is the God-given reward for those who can stomach praying for small things. Like we said earlier, we hold out because of a desire to not be let down or we hold out because we don't think it's big enough or worthy enough, it feels silly. And when we do, we miss out on all the little delights of God's daily gifts. And sure, the cynical among us and the cynical within us can roll their eyes and say, well, that was gonna happen anyway, whether I prayed for it or not. And sure, okay, maybe you're right. But what I've seen is those who have this kind of back and forth relationship with the Lord, those who are okay with bringing all the little small things in their lives, their daily lives are filled with so much joy and gratitude for all of these tiny gracious gifts of God that each one of us have in our every single daily life, but most of us don't notice them. Prayer opens our eyes to notice them gives us this joy of noticing our provider over the provision. It opens our eyes to say, man, I never noticed you here before, but here you are. Thank you. I never thought that I would find you at the copy machine at work, but here you are. Thank you. I never noticed how beautiful my drive to school is, but look at your creation. Thank you. 
small prayers, small gifts from a big and up close God. Would you stand with me this morning? So again, I ask what could praying for daily bread look like in your life? And I would like to practice it this morning. So if you would close your eyes. I want you to think about your upcoming week. What does your week hold? Now again, I'm not looking for the big things. Think of something small but specific to pray about for this week. Daily bread, small yet noticeable. And ask the Lord for it. Jesus, we come to you as your child. We wanna let you in on our life. And not only do we wanna let you in, we wanna ask you for some things because you tell us to. You are a father that loves to give good gifts to his children. And so we ask today, we ask that you would meet us in that meeting. We ask that you would guide us in that conversation. We ask that you would bring us that thing that we have been wanting. We ask you because we know that you care about what we care about. open our hearts in a vulnerable way. Would you form trust inside of us? Just remain in this space for a moment as we prepare our hearts to come to the table.